Rajanti. And I'm Marcus Rajanti. And this is Passport Necessary, a podcast dedicated to growing up as a TCK and how we're dealing with it now that we are adults. And today Mm -hmm. is actually the start of a very exciting series uh, for both of us. We are going to be approaching the arts. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes. Which... I know for me, I'm really excited because I've always kind of been an artistic kid. I've been entrenched in theater yeah. for a very long time. Um, so the plan for anyone who's curious is that we will be, for the next couple of weeks, talking about specific forms of arts, um, mm-hmm. be it dancing, music, blah, 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 and <laughs> um, our experience with it and you know how we've interacted with it over the course of our lives. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I know I'm the big theater nerd, um, yeah. <laughs> but for you, Marcus, like, how do you, how have you interacted with theater? How, what has been your experience with theater? Well, there's been some stuff like in school and stuff like that. Obviously you do the school play. Mm-hmm. Um, and also from being in Japan, they would show us a few different kinds of theater. And one of the ones that we got kind of shown a little bit and taught a little bit about was no theater. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really interesting because it's very, um, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? It's stylized, I suppose, is a way of describing it. Mm-hmm. It's got a particular set of forms that you have to stick with mm-hmm. in order to make it that particular kind of theatre. So the expression is different to what you would expect from seeing sort of like more Western theatre, like, you know, the plays that we see today. Yeah. Because no is a much more sort of like traditional thing. I, don't I, know was... if I compare it to theatre. Sorry. No, I was going to say traditional is the way I would absolutely describe no theater. Yeah. It, yeah. It's so entrenched in its traditions and it's very much a historic form of theater where people yeah. who do know now, there's definitely this awareness of it comes from this very established, very uh, rule-based way of doing theater mm-hmm. and that it has to continue um, and follow those rules. I got to study no theater um, for, there was this intensive thing that we would do for Canadian Academy. It was part of APAC, which was like the Asian Pacific, Asian Pacific American, or I don't know what it stood for, but basically it was a conference. (laughs) (laughs) It was a conference where like all the schools in the Asian Pacific area would come together and have like a multi-day program um, and you could study. Um, and I remember we hosted APAC one year and we studied no drama and okay, it was incredible because everything, the thing with no theater is it's incredibly slow. And as you said, stylized, mm-hmm. everything is, takes its time and you have to hit certain beats and your body has to do these almost contorted shapes it's it's a completely different way of looking at theater than I think most Westerners would approach it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I suppose it would be sort of like the kind of thing where you look at something like, um, say, how people perform classical music in the West as a set of rules, you know, everybody mm-hmm. wears certain kinds of clothes, they sit in certain positions, everything's set out in a particular kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it's quite formal in its setting, normally. I mean, some people will do it a bit less formally, but they tend to do it like that. I suppose that's kind of a way of looking at it in terms of just trying to get your head around it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, one of the things that I learned about it that I thought was so fascinating is that 
it's actually fairly common for people to fall asleep during a no performance because of how slow it is, uh, mm-hmm. which the first time we I found out about that, I was kind of shocked because, you know, in, in theater in the West, if you fall asleep, that's terrible. That means that you have not yeah. done a good production. But apparently from what I learned was that if you fall asleep during a no piece, you've actually reached the like a sense of wah, which is like you've you've hit equilibrium with the energy mm-hmm. of the room and it puts you in into essentially a meditative state. Like that's kind of the feel right. that you can uh, get when watching no theater is you're not falling asleep because you're bored. You're falling asleep because you've hit the same energy of meditation that this style mm-hmm. of theater can give to you, which I thought was a fascinating way of even approaching that style of theater. Yeah, that is an interesting one. I mean, and it makes sense as well because there's a lot of stuff that can be quite meditative. And I suppose with it being sort of a Buddhist culture mm-hmm. or heavily influenced by Buddhism in lots of ways, that does make sense mm. because meditation is so important. And it would, and it's sort of like also if you see it as a kind of meditation. In that sense, you you can see why it would be so slow and formalized and stylized in a way because it's meant to be doing something particular. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. has, it has a function that goes beyond just telling a story or commenting on society or trying to tell people about their morality or anything like that. It's got another function mm-hmm. in a sense. And it's interesting because Japan has now very historically based forms of theater like bunraku, which is puppet theater, and then kabuki, mm-hmm. which is now its own very distinctive form of theater. But when kabuki started happening, it actually was an offshoot from bunraku because bunraku was mm-hmm. so popular, the puppet theater, that they started trying to do theater that would involve humans, but because it wasn't as exaggerated as the puppets could be, basically Kabuki mm-hmm. started taking those puppet stylizes, uh, stylizations of movement and speech and and show and put that to humans. That's why Kabuki looks as extreme as it oh. does because they're copying puppets. That makes sense. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I mean, is there a particular reason they did that? Is it just because they could fill bigger rooms or is it cheaper in some way? Because you don't have to make puppets that are really expensive and all that sort of stuff? Or So Kabuki actually became a form of theater that was popular with the layperson. Bunraku started mm-hmm. off as something that was popular for everyone and then over time became more heightened and then seen as something that upper right. class people would interact with. And then right. they eventually started, the everyday people kind of wanted a taste of that. And so Kabuki started happening where it was this exaggerated form Um Mm-hmm. And then they started, like, if you watch Kabuki, it's very, like, big and brash. The colors are very mm-hmm. bright and it's very loud. And they're always doing um, old myths. Um, very rarely right, do they yeah. do history, although sometimes they do. And it's loose history where it's like, we're pretty right, sure yeah, this yeah. happened, but, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Kind of like Shakespeare's Henry VIII yeah, yeah, and, yeah. like, Henry V and stuff like that, where it's like, it's history in quotes. <laughs> Yes. It's loose history. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the thing that's so fascinating is that with 
those forms of theater, especially now, you have to constantly train, like, to reach certain mm-hmm. levels as an actor or performer. Like, Bunraku by itself, th- those puppets are handled by three puppeteers. Every Bunraku puppet oh, has right, three okay. puppeteers that move them. You train for 10 years to do one leg. Mm-hmm. And then another puppeteer trains for another 10 years to do another leg and the arm. And then the head puppeteer is the one who controls the head and the arm mm-hmm. that isn't being controlled by the second puppeteer. So it takes 30 years to get to the level where you are technically right. in control of the puppet. Like, it's incredibly established and rules-based and mm-hmm. there's this history of you have to train to become a master of that craft, which I think mm-hmm. is so fascinating compared to more Western styles of theater where, yeah. yes, absolutely, you train, a lot of actors train mm-hmm. their entire lives, but I know a lot of people in theater who, like, they went to college and started doing theater immediately. I have friends who didn't yeah. go to college. They, out of high school, just started doing theater. So, mm-hmm. I think in the West, there's a little bit more of a looseness when it comes to, you know, active, rigid training. Um, yeah. When it comes to the arts, whereas I yeah. think in Japan specifically, because that's where I definitely had a little bit more interaction with that, there is absolutely the sense of you cannot consider yourself as having mastered something unless you have intensively studied for literal years, like sometimes decades. (laughs) (laughs) How many years have we doing this? Oh, about two. Ah, Nope. Amateur. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's it's incredibly... There's a lot of pressure behind it, but then when you watch it, you see the level of craft and care that goes into the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's it's funny because, like, yeah, I can't, I can't think of anything in... You wouldn't think of anything in the West exactly that would be quite like that. I can't think of any sort of particular tradition. I mean, unless, again, it is with the classical music. Or maybe jazz music as well. There's probably a little bit of a sense of that. I'm constantly working at it to get better. I mean... I don't think... I think there are absolutely some actors who would say that, you know, they are constantly training. They're going to classes. Mm -hmm. They take courses. Like, they're always working at their craft. But I I think it's different. I think there's this different level Mm -hmm. to it. Because it's also... Japanese theater is so heavily entrenched in history. It, it yeah. There is the history of the country within those art forms. Yeah. I suppose it also, it's interesting that you have several different theater styles to do with different um, levels of, in society as well. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Because, I mean, I can understand the Japanese having a very sort of, I mean, I suppose all societies do, though. I mean, it's like... You think of things as a kind of theatre, I suppose, like masks and operas. I mean, that's theatre. Mm-hmm. But initially, I think a lot of them were actually written for very wealthy people. Mm-hmm. You know, like lords, monarchs, dukes and all that sort of stuff would be the people who'd be commissioning the ballets and the operas. And it's interesting. There is that. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I was just, I was just, I'll basically finish there. <laughs> well, I was going to say what's so fascinating is that I think in the West, 
there's this history of theater as being seen as something that was in a lot of ways considered illegal or as something undesirable mm-hmm. because for a very long period of time in Western history, theater came to you via traveling performers. Yes. So if you think of like Comedia dell'arte or even mm-hmm. in England, they had traveling um performances and that was what people did it was considered the art form of thieves and vagabonds and drunkards like (laughs) not like considered the highest class of society like they were kind of they just lived um on the road Mm -hmm. and so i think western theater is has that root of oh well you know that's art that it travels so there's the potential for mm-hmm. danger there's the potential for being taken for your money like there were people who yeah. they were scammers like that's what they did so i think unfortunately in the west it's not theater isn't always seen as the highest of art form unless you were no. being paid for by a duke or you were under the control of a monarch who was going to protect you. And even then you kind of had to do whatever the monarch said. Yeah. Yeah. If you you were someone who had the patronage of another, of a higher up person, it sort of gave you legitimacy, Mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, I try to think, I mean, I don't know if Shakespeare was ever commissioned by any of the monarchs to write the plays because that was something. I actually have a really funny story about Shakespeare. All right, go ahead. Um, I cannot remember the exact character, but there was a character that the queen fell in love with in one of his plays and he killed him off, like killed the character. Oh dear. Yes. And then the queen was so mad about that, that he had to basically bring the character back into a different play. It's like, look, he's still alive. Everything's fine. (laughs) Don't get mad at me. And he was like almost the main, or had a really big part. And it was because the queen was like, if you fucking kill him, I'm going to kill you. And I was like, not that extreme, but she was definitely like, I like this character. Don't kill him. Um, So yeah, there's definitely like historical evidence of, you have to kind of do what the monarch wants. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, I, yeah. I suppose it's the other thing in, in, in sort of particularly, um, I think I cannot remember the date of this, but there was a particularly important noble in England at the time who was the Earl of Essex. Yeah, it was the Earl of Essex. And he was having difficulty. Well, Queen Elizabeth I was not happy with him. Mm-hmm. And so what he tried to do was he decided he wanted to get himself more power. So what he thought he would do is lead a rebellion in London. And one of the plays that was used to help sort of start up the rebellion was Richard II. Oh. Because Richard II hands over the crown. In history, he was he was forced to abdicate. And so in the, in the, in the Shakespeare play, he's being forced to abdicate. And that was the play that was used to talk about this. Interesting. Um, and so the theatre was a pretty dangerous in a certain sense because if you were in it and you did something wrong and the monarch decided that like they really didn't like it or somebody tried to use it for political purposes, you could be in big trouble. Um, it's, uh, I suppose you could sort of see why some people sort of go, yeah, maybe we want to keep control of the theatre, just, <laughs> you know, stop people from doing stuff, you know. They're probably just a bunch of troublemakers, you know. I mean, there is a whole history of countries that have authoritarian regimes or very mm-hmm. strict um, governments that 
they essentially get rid of theater, they get rid of artists, they get rid of poets, Mm -hmm. because a big part of theater is, yes, it's fun, it's entertaining, absolutely, but there's always some sort of message that's in it. It's not just entertainment. There is usually some sort of story that is inherently in there that's teaching you something, whether it means to or not. There's always a message. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why so many places that have an authoritarian regime and they don't want you questioning them, they get rid of theater first because there is this fear of theater speaks truth to power. Theater forces Mm -hmm. you to question what you're seeing on stage by the fact that it is on stage. You're elevating it. You're putting it as... I, you have to look at me. I'm doing a performance. You are going to look at me, which forces you to think about it. Even if you don't yeah. consciously think about it, you are thinking about what's happening on stage. And that in itself, if you are a person who has power and doesn't want someone criticizing them, that's dangerous. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, cause- I remember when I went to visit my parents when they were... Um, living in, I think it was Algeria at the time. I remember coming in and saying like, oh, I'm a theater kid. Like, this is what I do. And they were like, we really don't have theater here. Like, what? They were like, yeah, we have musicians. We have poets. Many of the time, though, they are authorized by the government to, to do what they do. But we don't really have theater. And that, to me, was just mind boggling. I had a friend when I was in college who came from Turkey and she told me straight up, she was like, unless it is authorized by the government, we don't have theater. Like, what do you mean? She was like, we have underground theater and there are people who go to jail because they say things that are unfavorable about the government. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of worrying. I mean, you see some elements of that happening sort of like not to the same extent but you see some elements of that happening sort of in the uk with the particular government as it stands at the moment uh they don't like people having a go at them mm-hmm. so they particularly hate comedians at the moment this <laughs> is oh they're all lefty liberals we don't like them and it's kind of like yeah but come on you're the ones in power if you don't like people making jokes about you, you shouldn't be in power uh, but they, there's a lot of that going on in the media at the moment in britain which is shouldn't really talk about politics too much but it's interesting that you do you do see it from certain sections of society saying, oh, we can't have this. Mm-hmm. There was, um, it's kind of talking about television, but I mean, there was a, there was a woman sort of in the 70s and 80s called Mary, yeah, Mary Whitehouse. Mm-hmm. That was her day? Yeah. And she was very famous for actually really getting angry about all sorts of stuff on television. Um, so she tried to get it all censored and stuff like that. You can't say these words, you can't have these images because it's corrupting this and it's all that sort of stuff. And it's the same arguments that people make about theatre. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't do this, it might corrupt people's minds, it will do this, it corrupts the young and it's all that sort of stuff. It's um, it's interesting. It is. It's interesting to see the same sort of things coming around again and again. It, it's honestly, it's really fascinating to see how... Theater is seen as both this silly thing that doesn't mean a lot, but then at the same time is always looked at a little bit side-eyed where it's like, Mm. I I don't trust what they're doing over there. And if you notice, um, I mean, at least here in the States, I always remembered when I was visiting the UK that the arts were pretty well funded, especially from Mm -hmm. like 
general government, not like direct government, like you're to promote us, but more just like you're funded so that you can go and do arts. In the States, it's not as well funded. A lot of it kind of, you have to independently make your own money and hopefully make enough back so that you can keep doing more theater. Um, But, (laughs) but there, there's always been this sense of there's there's a little bit of gatekeeperiness when it when it comes to theater unfortunately mm-hmm. i think that there there is this there is a little bit there is classism and sexism and racism in theater mm-hmm. and i think more and more younger theater artists are really trying to push those boundaries and really yeah. trying to incorporate more people who are not able-bodied, more people who don't fit the quote-unquote norm because yeah. we're recognizing that there are more people who don't fit that norm. Where There is no like yeah. set box of these are the only stories we should tell. There's so much more out there. Uh, I mean, for me, one of the biggest examples and probably one of the most moving theater experiences I've ever had the pleasure to see in my life. um, I went to the UK, to London for a high school course that I, I was studying IB theater and we got to go out and see a play and they had picked it out for us. So my whole class went, it was called tribes and okay. The play was about a young man who was deaf and he would sign and he, but he also would try and speak. And so he kept trying to force himself to, he had a family who didn't really learn to sign. They basically refused. And so the whole play was Mm -hmm. about signing, not signing. um, Like, where does that put you? Does that make you more acceptable, less acceptable within different communities it was so moving and beautiful and a big portion of the play was in sign language and it was so mm-hmm. beautifully done and moving. And I remember walking away from that performance and I was like, there's nothing that should stop you from doing theater. Nothing should ever be mm-hmm. a barrier yeah. for you because literally anyone can do it. As long as you can try and communicate, you can make theater. And it was yeah. It was life changing for me. It really made a huge difference when it came to wow. how do we try and make theater more accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the thing is, is that you know there are so many ways that you could do that. Mm-hmm. One thing it's unfortunate because they're not doing it again. Uh, it's not just because of COVID, but they had here in York what they called a pop up theater, mm-hmm. which basically. Um, that they were doing it in two places and I think they overreached themselves with the funding they didn't they thought that they were going to make more money than they did so the first year they would do, they were, it was all Shakespeare plays mm-hmm. and they built this sort of like they built this theatre um, it sounds a bit weird but they built it in a car park next to the uh, what in York is called Clifford's Tower there's a large sort of car parking area so they converted some of it into this pop-up theatre um, <laughs> no I love that like yeah so they built it like it, it looks like the Globe Theatre, but it was all like made of wood, and it was like had the walls and stuff. So you had like stalls and things like that. But also you could go down and be one of the groundlings, uh, so you could get right up to the front of the stage and all that sort of stuff. And so like the tickets, if you wanted to take a seat at the back, you know they they could be like you know twenty, thirty, forty quid. I think it was, mm-hmm. which is quite a bit. But then if you wanted to go down the front, you could get in for about, I think it was fifteen, sixteen pounds. Oh wow, which isn't too bad. That's so cheap. Which isn't too bad. <laughs> yeah. 
And so you could go down the front, you could see it from there. And so they, they were putting on four plays a year. Um, they, they would just rotate them. Um, I think they would have like two separate teams of actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would each do two plays. That's so cool. Was, I can't remember the first year. The first year was Midsummer Night's Dream, Macbeth. And there was another one. Another two. And I cannot remember what the other two were. I think one of them might have been one of the historical plays and another one a comedy. Mm-hmm. And then the year after, the one I went to see, I saw it three times, I just enjoyed it so much, was The Tempest. Mm-hmm. And it was really good. They're all Shakespeare plays, but The Tempest was brilliant. As I went to see it three times, just getting, getting taken friends, come on, you've got to come and see this. And you have to as well. <laughs> just taking them all to see it. And it was really good. It was really good fun. And I think it's obviously being on the, down the front of the stage is the best place to be for those sorts of things because they interact with the audience a bit more and all that sort of stuff because the tempest has a lot of stuff where you could do that because obviously you've got a fairy and Mm -hmm. a wizard and you know all these other characters Mm -hmm. um so that was that was a good play to watch yeah i really like i i love seeing people trying to do things like that i mean shakespeare is an easy name it's an attention grabber Mm -hmm. it gets more people interested like I know in New York, every summer, they didn't do it this past summer, yeah, last summer because of COVID, but um, usually every summer, the public, which is one of the big theaters, off-Broadway theaters in New York, does a free Shakespeare show, two free oh, wow. Shakespeare shows in the summer. So the first half will be one and the second half will be another show. Um, and all you have to do is l- wait for the tickets. So either you can sign up online, you can go to the public, mm-hmm. or you can wait at the park and it's called Shakespeare in the Park. Um, mm-hmm. And the tickets are free. You just have to wait, grab oh. them, and then go. And I got, like, some people get to see, like, really big name actors who come and they perform it just because they want to. And they were able to get funding mm-hmm. yeah. to make that happen. And it's so cool to see people who maybe don't really care about Shakespeare or have barely Mm. had any interaction with it, go and see it because it's Shakespeare in the park, because this big name actor is in it or whatever it may be like. It's so heartwarming and I love it. And there are a lot more theater companies that do that. Like I know here in Buffalo, we have a Shakespeare in the park and again, didn't happen because of COVID, but we had, Mm -hmm. again, it's two productions every summer in the park and it's free and that's something yeah. where it's like, that's awesome. It's accessible. It gives people a chance to may not get to see theater, get to see it. And I know for a fact that happens because um, I used to work at a local, at a theater here in Buffalo in the box office. And mm-hmm. there was one day where this young uh, man came in and he was asking me about, you know, what productions are coming up, what were the ticket prices? And I was helping him out with it. And he said, oh man, that's a little expensive for me. I said, okay, I understand. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, there's all these other companies, their tickets are a little bit cheaper. And he was like, honestly, I never got to see theater before until this past summer. I went to Shakespeare in the Park and it was so incredible. I decided I needed Mm -hmm. to go see more theater. I was like, Yes. You need to. Absolutely. Like, and as soon as you told me that, I just gave him all these references. I was like, here's all these theaters. Go check them out. Their tickets mm-hmm. aren't too expensive. And he had confided in me. He was like, I'm from an area where, you know, we, we don't watch theater. I, yeah. I come from an area in Buffalo where there are guns and there are drugs. And that's what people talk yes. about. Like, I didn't, I never got to see theater until last summer, mm. my junior year of high school. I was like, I, mm. 
I'm sorry that you haven't been able to get that experience, but I'm happy that now that you have, you want to experience more. And yeah, we need to acknowledge that unfortunately when you make ticket prices too high, it becomes inaccessible. It becomes an elitist yes. form of theater. So even if your message yeah. is good, you're not reaching the people who need to see it and who need to hear it. There needs to be more that's done so that more people of any class can come see shows. And yes, that's, that's, that's why I love productions and companies that do stuff like Shakespeare in the park or can do like reduced ticket prices or pay what you can. That's actually huge here yes. in Buffalo. I don't know okay. if you've seen that before, but here in Buffalo, we have no. at least one night per show run, sometimes multiple times. They'll do a pay what you can night. We're literally like, oh whatever God. you can pay, they'll take it. If you can only pay $5, you get a seat in the house. If you can pay $60, hell yeah, thank you. You can you get a seat in the mm-hmm. house. It does not matter. Just pay what you can and you'll go see the show. And I love that. I yeah. I would love to see more theater companies try and implement that into their programming. Yeah, it would be nice to do that. I mean, the thing is, is that one of the fears in Britain at the moment is not just... Uh, I thought the arts in general are seen as being a sort of thing now for people who have a lot of support. So people who come from wealthier backgrounds tend to be the ones who will be able to do it. So funding in schools across Britain has been cut for the arts generally. So that causes problems. So more people who come from a privately come from private education. I mean, it's not their fault that that's where they come from, but they are going to get the slots. Yep. They find it a heck of a lot easier because you know they can you know spend a lot of time sort of honing their abilities in school and then they can go to university to do that. And then now once they leave university, they've got the opportunity to run around for a couple of years trying to get their name noticed Yep. without having to worry too much. Whereas it's, um, it's got, there are a lot of other things that go into that as well. Like, you know, the things to do with housing prices, um, the way that social security works and all that sort of stuff. Cause in the eighties and before that you could do stuff, um, without the social security i mean one of the things that apparently was very good in london in the 70s and 80s was the fact that you could go squatting <laughs> so you wouldn't you wouldn't have to pay for your house and all that sort of stuff so there's a lot of that sort of stuff was going on in london so you could have a culture that would build up around that so musicians um artists actors and all that sort of stuff were able to go through that process mm-hmm. and get themselves sort of um get themselves going because it takes a few years to establish anything oh yeah I your mean, your name is everything in theater mm-hmm and I mean, uh, yeah, uh, it's like just some actors get lucky. They get noticed for a particular part and they turn out that they're doing OK with it. I think the story goes that Ray Winston was very lucky because somebody saw the way that he walked and decided that he wanted him in the film because of the way he walked. I can't remember what the film was called, but apparently he was just <laughs> lucky because he was at an audition and he just got noticed because of the way he was moving. It's like, that's the kind of person we want for this scene. Interesting. Just for that thing. Apparently the story goes like that. I think hmm. I'm remembering it correctly. I mean, sometimes you, you, you get one lucky break that you can people kind of go, oh, right, that's it. That's yeah. where it comes from. But like a lot of people go on for years trying to get going. And you need to have a lot of um, support to do that. And I think it's not really, certainly in Britain, it's not as possible, not as easy to do it as it used to be. Yeah. Unfortunately, in the States, the arts have definitely been cut quite a bit. Um mm-hmm especially within high school programs, there are lots of, whether it's theater, visual arts, music. um, Unfortunately, there are a lot of schools, especially um, 
public schools that it just gets cut. It's considered to be mm. an extracurricular or extra to your schooling. And so it, mm. it doesn't have grades attached to it. So it's not considered important anymore. And then they get rid of it. Yeah. And to me, it's such a shame and it really hurts young people because mm-hmm. I know that for m- myself personally, I learned so much about myself and who I was as a person and what I wanted to do mm-hmm. because of theater. I mean, I'm one of those weird people who was like, I want to do theater for my life and I've mm-hmm. been making it happen. But it wasn't just that. It mm-hmm. was, it ha- taught me like, who I wanted to be, how to communicate with other people, how to work with other people and how to express myself in a way that was creatively satisfying, but also made sense. Like, not just like, well, Mm -hmm. I want to do this. And it's like, okay, why, why do you want to do that? Justify it. Think of what the purpose of what you are doing is. And that really helped me not just as an artist, but also as a person. And, I think it yeah. really hurts our communities when you take arts away from them. And unfortunately that's what's happening in a lot of schools across the U S. Mm. I mean, I think I suppose in the end arts can almost define a community to an extent because it's such an important part of culture because that's how people express their culture. Mm-hmm. It's not just through food. It's not just through what they wear. It's also through what they write about, what they sing about, what they perform, you know, it's, it's important in terms of just allowing that Mm self-expression and the other thing is that i think theater is certainly an exploration as well is to help you think about things it's it serves a function sort of socially but also intellectually to an extent because it's making you look at things it's making you think about things Mm -hmm. Uh, it does a lot of stuff that i think it's easy to say well it doesn't have value because it you know it doesn't make a lot of money it doesn't do this it doesn't do that but the thing is it's it's its function is something different Mm mm-hmm and I think that's the interesting thing about the arts is that the function is not to meet sort of physical needs as such. It's to meet emotional, psychological and societal needs that if you're a robot, it wouldn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But the problem is we're not robots. So the thing <laughs> is, is that we have to do things in a particular way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the best examples when you're doing theatre, if you're viewing it from an actor's perspective is there are times where you get a role where you do not identify with the person. You don't Mm. feel like you are the person that you are acting, but you still need to make it believable on stage, which means that you have to put yourself in that person's shoes. You have to see, why would this character do this? Why would this person go to this length? Or why would they do what they're doing in this storyline? Sometimes, yes, a play Mm. is poorly written, but there is a logic that's internal to the character and it forces you to think like another person. And I think that's what's so valuable about theater specifically is that it constantly is asking you to look at things in a different light, both literally you have to look at different lights on the stage, (laughs) but also like metaphorically, you are literally having to think as another person or as the director, you have to think from multiple characters' perspectives or mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. whatever your role is in theater, you have to think outside of yourself. I think there's yeah. so much value in that. We constantly are, at least in the West, I'm specifically talking about the West here, mm-hmm. we so often think of just ourselves and our immediate surroundings mm. 
that I think theater gives us this incredible value of forcing yourself to think about someone else and why they would do yes. something in that situation. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a thing, isn't it? It's a, it is a way for people to see things mm-hmm. that would just, you know, you wouldn't otherwise see. Yeah. And it can also be a way of helping to like, even with dialogue as well, between the two, two people, you can sort of see arguments sometimes being thrashed out on a stage. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, yeah, it's an interesting experience going to the theatre. I mean, I don't do it often enough. I've been lucky a few times to go and see a few things. It's mostly been Shakespeare because when my parents come over, they just go, yeah, we're going to go see Shakespeare. Do you want to come? And I go, yeah, sure, I'll come. <laughs> um, so you go and see lots of different Shakespeare plays. And um, I have seen other ones. I've seen um, Duchess of Duchess of Malfi, and I cannot remember the name of the playwright. Also saw a version of Oscar Wilde's um, Salome's Last Dance. Uh-huh. Or Salome's Last Dance, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, which was interesting because they, tr- they moved a lot of different ideas around. So Salome became, uh, was played by a, a man instead of a woman. So that was interesting. They just moved some different ideas around. And I thought it worked. I thought it was a good play. Um, but then, you know, Oscar Wilde wrote a good play. So, you know. Yeah, he's a fabulous playwright. I love Oscar Wilde. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a little biased. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he's good though. So there is that. So that's the sorts of things I've seen. And I, and I have seen other theatre as well. So like... Um, a play called No Man's Land, and again, I cannot remember the name of the author, and then also The Seagull oh, was another no one. No Man's Land. Oh, that's a really good play. The Seagull's also was... dark. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> but guess who, was in the, guess who was in No Man's Land? I have no idea. Ian McKellen oh. and Sir Patrick Stewart. Oh. oh, my God. I actually got to see them with my grandma on Broadway. Oh, really? I paid out the nose, but we went to see oh, yeah. Waiting for Godot. Oh, that must have been great. It was so beautiful. And I've seen Waiting for Godot before. I had seen it once previously. Mm. And I remember going to see it and I hated it. I hated really? it so much. Oh, I really didn't like it. And then I went to go see it with Serene McKellen and Sir Patrick Stewart. And there was uh, these other two actors. I'm very sorry. I don't remember their names. They were actually mm-hmm. wonderful in it as well. Um, yeah. And I went with my grandma and I was glued. Like I mm. was not moving from my chair. I couldn't look away. It was so beautifully done. And I remember at the very end turning to my grandma, I was like, that was probably one of the best shows I've seen. And she was like, mm. oh, wow, you really, really liked it. I was like, I loved it because I pre <laughs> like the fact that these two actors were able to take a play that I hated and turn it into mm-hmm. a play that meant something for me and I felt it in my bones mm. that was incredible like that was a truly spectacular experience but again yeah. very expensive and I I just got lucky where I like I had just enough money where I was like you know what I can afford this I'll make it happen but how many thousands of people would have you know had a life-changing experience to go see that show <laughs> they could have yes. afforded it <laughs> like ugh. Yeah. but it was so good it really was um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing experience being in a theatre if the play's going well, though. I, I I love even even if I'm not particularly enjoying the play necessarily itself. The experience is always good to be in. 
Yeah, and there's all sorts of different types of theater. There's theater in the round, there's proscenium where like the mm-hmm. stage is in front of you. And then there's this huge growth now of immersive theater, which I'm actually very fascinated by. I love immersive theater mm-hmm. where the audience is being brought into the theater experience itself and interacting with it in various different ways. Um, one of the best mm-hmm. examples of that is Sleep No More, which has been happening for a couple years oh, now okay. in New York City, which is an offshoot a loose adaptation of Macbeth. Um, right. Okay. Which I, again, oh, the line in the, yeah. I got lucky. I went to see it. Um, it was mind blowing. Um, again, expensive, but one of those experiences where I was like, this is justified for being expensive because they literally took over an entire building and outfitted nice. it to be a show. So <laughs> it's like, oh, you got to pay for that. And all the actors and, people moving around. Yeah, it was very cool. And I, I'm glad to see more immersive theater coming out and adapting technology to work for them because, again, that mm. helps make theater more accessible as well. Mm. Oh, that was the one thing, actually, just talking about immersive theater because, I mean, it's quite, not quite immersive theater, but the one thing that was interesting about doing the um, watching The Tempest when it was outside... Because obviously, because the, the, the theatre was designed to be um, like um, like the like the Globe Theatre. So the thing is, part of it's open to the sky, mm-hmm. and there was one part during one of the speeches, and it was Caliban's speech. It started to rain. Oh wow! And because it was the Caliban speech, it just really it really worked. It was just like, my God, this is really cool. <laughs> it was so good. That's it just really awesome. worked really well because it's a beautiful speech. So it's just it was just really effective. And just to think about the tempest and actually having the rain and stuff like that kind of made it feel a bit more sort of it had a, had an effect, you know. Yeah. And the actors could work with it really well. I literally, you said that, and my body just went like, oh, yeah. "That sounds awesome." <laughs> yeah. It was really good. Hi, can we uh, get a rain cloud over the show in like twenty <laughs> minutes? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> just enough rain. Just enough. <laughs> Oh man, I could talk about theater all day with you, um, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I really can. This is like the thing that I obsess over constantly, all the time, every day. So, um, but thank you, Marcus, for you know no, talking with no. me about all your different theater experiences because I'm always interested in seeing how other people have been able to interact and experience mm. theater themselves. Yeah, it's definitely been interesting talking because it's not my area of expertise, but. Well, what's that line? I may not know about art, but I know what I like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Bring the tone down. (laughs) Well, we'll see you next time. (laughs) All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, If you want to find us, we are on Twitter at Passport, N-E-C-E-S-S-1. We are also on YouTube, and you can find us anywhere where fine podcasts can be found. Um, Through Anchor, that is our main platform, but you can also find us through Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Please feel free to leave us a comment, a review. We definitely appreciate those. They make us really happy uh, to see them. And feel free to um, send us questions via Twitter or any of the uh, formats 
formats that we're on. We have some really exciting episodes lined up in the future. Um, and hopefully we will have a Facebook group that will be up and running soon uh, where you can absolutely chat with other people who listen to the podcast or even ask us questions. Uh, so thank you so much again for listening and we can't wait to see you next time. Bye. Bye.